To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 25, which is the psalm appointed for today, Monday, October the 18th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are looking at, continuing our look at Jeremiah, uh, chapter 44, the first 14 verses. First uh, Corinthians, we're in chapter 15, verses 30 to 41. And then in the Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter, verses 16 to 24. So remember <clears throat> what had happened last time we were together on this, was is that some of the people who had been in Jerusalem... Uh, provoked the Babylonians by killing the governor that had been appointed over them. And so then after that, they fled, and some of them fled to Egypt for sanction or for for security reasons. They fled to Egypt thinking that they would be safe over there, which is, again, an odd thought considering how the nation actually began with the Passover and the coming out of Egypt and the slavery that they had endured there to now go back to that place as a place of sanctuary uh, feels a little strange, except that's exactly where uh, Joseph and Mary went with Jesus at the time the persecution broke out when when the the, the male children were being killed by Herod uh, at the same time that Jesus would have been a baby. And so they fled to Egypt. And so out of Egypt... Indeed, Matthew had told us he called his son. So here we are now in Jeremiah, and he says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt, at Migdal, at Toponese, at Memphis, and at the land of Pathros. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem and upon all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they're a desolation, and no one dwells in them, because of the evil they committed, provoking me to anger, in that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they didn't listen or incline their ear or turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. Therefore my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. And now, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves? To cut off from you man and woman, infant and child, from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant. To remember here what's going on is the Lord provided for them through Jeremiah, told them, just go, go into exile in Babylon. That's the plan God had for the remnant of his people was for them to go to Babylon and remain together as one, different from the way things happened in the northern kingdom of Israel slash Samaria, right? Because what happened there was they were taken and assimilated into the nations. They were separated from one another and assimilated into the nations. And so God didn't want that to happen. 
because David was the one who God had promised would have one to sit on his throne. And so he made provision for the people to remain together and go into Babylon in exile. These people chose not to, and then separated themselves from the rest of the nation, the rest of the tribe, by going to Egypt. And that's God's uh, complaint here. Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt where you've come to live, so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, the evil of their wives, your own evil, and the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? They have not humbled themselves even to this day, nor have they feared nor walked in my way and in my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. So what he's looking for, what God's looking for, is for these people to repent. But they no, they continue to pursue their own way by going to Egypt against his provision for them in Babylon. And so in in doing so, they're going to lose the salt that's in them because they're just going to assimilate into the nations and therefore they'll be indistinguishable from from other people in Egypt and and they will lose all their own uniqueness and and individuality as the people of God. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for harm to cut off all Judah. I'll take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt they shall fall. By sword and famine they'll be consumed, from the least to the greatest. They'll die by the sword and by famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. I will punish all those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I've punished Jerusalem with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return to dwell there, for they shall not return except some fugitives. So they have cut themselves off from their their fellows by failing to do as the Lord commanded, and they've gone elsewhere. They've followed the devices and desires of their own hearts, and they have gone over to Egypt, and God says, you'll never come back. This is the way it works. You were disobedient to my commandment, and you did what seemed right in your own eyes, and you went to Egypt rather than Babylon, and now you'll never return. There will be no um, mercy for you because you've chosen the path that you've chosen. It, it's, it's on you. I gave you an option, and you chose another path. And, and that can be essentially the theme for all apologetics. And that is, is that you were given an option, and you chose something else. So it's not God sending people to hell. It's people choosing not to not to respond, not to pay attention, and to go their own way wherever that might lead. The world's wisdom frequently drops the ball in these issues. In the gospel, we see the same thing. Jesus says, what do I compare to this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. So you weren't paying attention to what we were telling you to do by playing the flute and singing the dirge, we intended you to do something very specific. You should have danced when we played the flute, and you should have mourned when we sang a dirge, but you refused to play the game the way we told you to play it. He says, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. And what he's saying there is, is that, that, that I'm not looking to the world to justify who I am or to care who I am. I want to save the world. But if the world here is here and I won't, play, won't dance according to its tune, then that's not my problem. It's the world's problem because it's the other way around. You're supposed to line up and follow me. John came preaching the gospel, preaching the message of repentance of sins for the coming of the kingdom. And they said, he has a demon. And now Jesus comes and does this, and, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It, it, he, he and John neither did things the way the world wanted them to. They refused to be conformed to the mold that the world had for them. And he's saying that in the long run, I'll be on the right side of history. That's what it means when wisdom is justified by her deeds. In the long run, you'll all see what's true and right and good. And then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Both of these are villages in Galilee. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon are Phoenician cities. They're coastal cities up northwest of Galilee. And, and those were pagan cities. And so these people would have looked down on the inhabitants of those places. And Jesus said, if I had done those things among those, these things among those pagans, they would have turned. They would have repented, and they would have done exactly what John the Baptist was calling you to do, and they would have repented and turned to the Lord. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. I mean, what an awful thing to proclaim against his own people. These, these are Jewish places where he's speaking and, and saying these things to. And, and it's not the only time that Jesus commends non-Jews over the Jews and said they would have done all these things, but you just treat it like it's no big deal because it's not exactly the way you would have it be. He, he Remember, he'd been condemned for doing things on the Sabbath and all that and, and, and doing things out of order, I guess, uh, by, he, by proclaiming forgiveness of sins prior to the healings. He said, I, I, <clears throat> and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, 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 no. You'll be brought down to Hades. And Capernaum features... Uh, extravagantly, really, in the first 10 chapters of, of Matthew's gospel and in the beginning of all the gospels. Capernaum is one of the chief places where Jesus's ministry is operating, is in these cities. And, and so there's many, many healings that he does in those places. And yet, he's saying here, it hasn't had any effect. All it's done is do some healings. They're just miracles, that you're not seeing that these aren't just miracles, they're signs. And those signs are pointing to a reality, the reality of who Jesus is. And the coming of the kingdom has come into your midst, and you're still continuing to sin and to live into sin. That's not even good enough for you. He said, for the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom. It would have remained until this day, but I tell you, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You'll be brought down to Hades. I mean, what a powerful, powerful statement that that is to say that. To speak about Sodom would have repented, and you didn't. And, and we can become hardened in our religiosity and fail then to heed and hear and see and respond 
because it's not just seeing, it's responding appropriately to the Lord in our midst. And he's saying, you're not. You're seeing great things, you're celebrating great things, but you're not seeing them at the spiritual level. Paul comes back and says, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. And certainly Paul did face danger nearly all the time. He said, what do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now, that's a very strange statement, obviously, and and there's a lot of um, disagreement, let's say, among commentators about whether Paul actually was uh, forced into the arena to fight a beast. Now, that would not be likely, given the fact that he never says anything about it, for one thing, and also because he's a Roman citizen, <laughs> and so they can't be forced to do that. But So I'm going to go with a metaphorical interpretation that says these are the people, like Demetrius the coppersmith and them, who came out against Paul and, and wanted him tried and, and drummed out of the city. He said, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, this, none of this matters anyway. If the dead are not raised, then then it doesn't make any difference. None of this means anything at all. He said, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. And again, these are those who have, who have said, eat, drink, and be to marry, marry, for tomorrow we die, because they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Remember, Paul said there are people there that don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And the reality is, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then there's nothing to constrain you in your actions. You should pursue your desires and just don't worry, be happy. Um, don't bother with your conduct because it doesn't matter anyway. There's no final judgment. There's no eternal life. He said, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it's to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, one glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. And so Paul says that what he's saying is, is that you want to know what, what it looks like in the resurrection. He said it, this, this body is not a perfect analog for what comes next. He said that we are all different before the Lord, just as all things differ from one another. And what you'll get is not what, you'll, what you have today. The, the one's imperishable. This one is perishable. What One dies, the other doesn't die. It's an eternal body. And so there must be something different about that eternal body than there is from this physical body in which we live today. He's not saying the physical body doesn't matter. But he says that it serves its purpose here. And just like Jesus speaks about those things falling into the ground and dying, the husk will be removed and what comes forth will be new life. So when you plant a seed, it doesn't come up looking like that seed. No, it comes up as a totally different thing. And so that's what he's trying to say. But what he's also trying to say in all this is you're supposed to be different today, too. That's the point of hearing the gospel, is to respond to the gospel by taking corrective action in those areas in your life where those things need to change. It's a, 
not a difficult process, but the gospel then is planted in our hearts and it breaks open and a new thing springs forth in us. And that's the way it's intended to be. And that, that, that intention then is for us to follow God's will for our lives in every single aspect of our lives, just as Jesus has done.